today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14 and verse 66. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace of the high priest, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. And our subject is simply lessons for us from Peter's denial. Denial of his being a companion, a disciple of Christ the Lord. And we read of it here in the Gospel of Mark. Amazing that we do, by human standards, because this is the Gospel of Peter, as you no doubt know. This is Peter's Gospel. Mark was his helper, his assistant, his aide, his secretary, as it were. Mark took down everything that Peter remembered by the prompting of the Holy Spirit of the Lord and his ministry. This is Peter's gospel. We're not at all surprised to read of Peter's denial of the Lord in Matthew's gospel and Luke's and John's, but in his own gospel. I'm sure it's true of you also, but I've uh, read an awful lot of biography. And it's very difficult for a biographer to get to the faults and failings of his subject. The letters he really wants to see, the thoughts he would really like to hear, and the reminiscences are not available to him. The real follies and failings and outrages, yes, and sins. So even if he's trying to write an objective biography, he doesn't know the half of the worst about the person of whom he writes. And what about the autobiographies? Well, some of them, the author tells us, gives us a little insight into some failing, into some difficulty, into some bad reaction. But the things he chooses to tell us are very mild failings. He doesn't usually tell us of his big wickednesses, and sins, and so on. Not in the world, not usually in earthly biography or autobiography, but here's Peter's gospel. I am that one, he says. All the bravado. When Christ my Lord and Saviour said to me, you cannot undergo the baptism that I shall undergo of suffering Peter replies, I can. And he goes on to say, though all these other disciples, he implies, will fail you, I will never fail you. I will never deny you. I will always stand loyal. The first to utterly collapse was Peter. And he confesses it. And he acknowledges it. The humiliation of it. And how rapidly he fell. And how terribly he fell. And he tells us all. The Bible is so honest, friends. 
This is given under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. It does what no human literature usually will do. It tells us the worst about ourselves. The writer acknowledges the worst about himself. It tells us about the grace of God and the free pardon and forgiveness and the wonderful loving kindness of the Lord and his readiness to forget and put behind these things and to repair the damage and to uphold the person. So we're looking at the denial of Peter. Three times he denied the Lord. Not once, not twice, three times. He did it in spite of specific warning. Why did he deny the Lord? The passage tells us all in these verses. Verse 66, as Peter was beneath in the palace. Well, you can try and imagine what we think the palace of the high priest probably looks like. There are claims that it has been located and excavated, but all is still controversial. But it would have been a very grand building, a huge building of stone near the temple. As you went in through a very imposing archway and a long porch leading to the courtyard within that had no roof, the courtyard was an open-air courtyard and to the left, let us say, as you went in I don't know whether it was the left or the right but let's imagine to the left there was a great reception room and in that Christ's trial before Annas took place. Annas was the former high priest, the father-in-law to the present high priest, Caiaphas. And there were a smaller number of chief priests, scribes and Pharisees in that reception room. And Christ was bound and he was bundled in there. And that was the first trial or hearing. Then he was dragged out across the courtyard. And Peter was in that courtyard and to the great hall on the right where the entire Sanhedrin council, such as were in Jerusalem, had assembled. And there was the trial there. And Peter had got in. How had he got in? Well, John was the first. Peter, John first, Peter following him, went to the high priest's house, and he was admitted by the maid on duty at the door. She had within earshot, I'm sure, armed people to call, but the door, door was actually manned by a maid girl. And she let John in. They knew John in that household. Whether he'd supplied fish or something from his business to the uh, high priest's house, well, nobody knows. Whether he was related in some way, many people have thought that. But he knew it was known. So he got in. The maid girl admitted him. And then he interceded for Peter. My friend Peter, can he come in? And Peter entered in too. And Peter was there. And John presumably went to speak to somebody else to find out what was going on. And there was a fireplace in that open courtyard rather like watchmen would uh, 
workmen would warm themselves by a brazier on a building site that was an open fireplace. And Peter stood or sat on a bench with a group of servants of the high priest there. And then the problem started. The girl who let him in, possibly, came off duty. Or she told somebody else, I think that man is one of the party of Jesus of Nazareth. And that made girl challenged him. And he denied it. You know the narrative. And then another challenged him. And he denied it. After the first denial, a cock crowed. The second denial was not accompanied by that phenomenon. But the third denial, when a man came to challenge him, and this man was a relation, presumably a brother of Malchus, the high priest's servant. It was Peter who had severed his ear from his head. Christ had restored it, but Peter was the man who did it. Now his fear grew of recognition and arrest and execution. Fear governed him, overwhelmed him, and the third denial came. It was through fear. But there's another question we have to ask. Why was he so afraid? Why was he so terrified that he buckled and three times in utter disloyalty denied he was a disciple of the Lord? Peter of all people. Why? Well, I'm going to bring before you, there are more, five reasons, very briefly, why he buckled. And these are all lessons for us. Five reasons why Peter was completely overwhelmed by his fear. And the first was a failure to learn. He hadn't thoroughly and properly listened and learned from the Lord. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been so afraid. Had not Christ said several times over, he would permit himself to be arrested in apparent weakness and he would be taken and he would be slain crucified, suffer and die? Had he not told them he would rise again and ascend into glory and this was all to accomplish the plan of redemption? Why was Peter still clinging on to the fact or to the idea that Christ would be an earthly deliverer and an earthly emperor? Why did he not learn Why had he not grasped the prophecies? Isaiah 53, the death of Christ and the purpose of it, and others also. It was Peter's failure to learn, to learn from events. He believed and he had said and he had professed that Christ was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Lord. But he didn't take it fully in. He is God. And man, he has promised to keep me. He has told me there is a life of service and suffering ahead for me. He will uphold me. 
to the end? Did he not really take it in and learn it and remember it? So many things. He'd seen the miracles. He'd heard the teaching. He didn't fully take it in. Oh, but you say, what would you do if you were in his position, about to be recognized as the one who cut off the ear of a high priest's servant, the brother of a man accusing you, certain death, certain arrest and violence. Think of the position he was in. Oh, but we know from the subsequent history of Peter what God would have done for him had he taken a stand. In Acts chapter 4, after the crucifixion of Christ, after the enlightening of the apostles, after the day of Pentecost, once the church is underway, Acts chapter 4 and Peter and John The authorities are furious with them and they make to to arrest them and yet somehow they cannot lay hands on them. They walk out of the temple precincts free men. Then Acts chapter 5, Peter is actually arrested and bound and chained and he walks free by the power of God. And Acts chapter 12, that great event when Peter was thrust into prison under doubled guards and the door watched and the iron gates closed and an angel of the Lord came and awakened him and told him to get up and led him out and he was free. Why, what would God not have done for him had he stood for Christ even there in the palace of the high priest? Later as time went on, Peter must have been even more deeply ashamed of his fear and his loss of faith and his denial. In due course, he would suffer and he would be martyred, but in God's time. But a failure to listen, how true that is of us. We seem to have half an ear sometimes. We believe in the Lord, we believe in the word, We read our Bibles every day and yet we have half an ear as someone once put it and we don't take it all in. And the Lord says in his word keep my day. Just an example. Keep my day. And some go shopping on the Lord's day. And some turn the television on on the Lord's day to take in entertainment. You've been listening with half an ear. All the promises of God are with you. But the desires of God and the commands of God are given to you to keep and to safeguard and to obey. But we're not listening. All manner of things. We let go. We shortcut. We don't comply. We don't do them. We're not listening. How few Christians are really living a life of sacrifice. We issued a grand old book recently entitled Sacrifice by Howard Guinness. Long went to glory, but a doctor who became a preacher, a minister. Sacrifice, grand little book. 
One reviewer read it in one leading Christian magazine. He didn't like it. He was snooty about it. Oh, this book has so many things wrong with it. His criticisms were not terribly valid. They weren't terribly good. But why didn't he like it? And he was a pastor and he reviewed this book, I suspect because he himself didn't like a life of sacrifice, a life of being available to the Lord, a life that put him first, a life that served him before anything else. Read a book like that, dear friends. Be good listeners to the Lord. And then you won't be afraid of whatever happens. You'll believe his promises. You'll be ready to suffer for him. You'll take in all that he is to you and all that he means to you. Failure to learn was behind Peter's great fear overwhelming him. Of course, it was a failure of faith. I must be quick. A failure of trust. A failure of faith. Well, then why was his faith failing? Hadn't he attempted to walk upon the water and beginning to sink? Christ had said the word and reached to him and he was safe. If that had happened to you, wouldn't it strengthen your faith? Wouldn't you put it at the top of every diary page? Wouldn't you try to remember it? To buttress you? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't remember it. I know you wouldn't. Because you've had many prayers answered in a most remarkable way. And you've forgotten. And those remarkable things don't come to mind when you're in trouble. To help you. And to bolster you. And to safeguard your faith. Peter's faith slipped. He didn't reflect much. He didn't remember much. He forgot that Christ was divine. He forgot that Christ had loved him before the foundation of the world. Had set his heart upon him with great affection. And determined to come and die for him and save him. He forgot that that love of Christ couldn't possibly ever be diminished, would always be with him. You young man, young woman, and you're keen and anxious for somebody to share your life and to share your heart, and you begin to panic, and you begin to worry, and you begin to fret, be concerned about it. Faith is failing. Faith is slipping away. Why? Because you've forgotten the love of Christ. That he loved you long before you were born. That he determined exactly what he'd do for you. The price he'd pay for you. How much he'd suffer for you to bear away your sin. How he'd plan for your life and watch over you. And reward every act of faith and discipline every sin, how he'd bring you surely home. You've forgotten he cares for you and he has your life in his mind. If you remembered that, you wouldn't panic. You'd pray, 
but you wouldn't panic. Friends, I've panicked many times over many things. I'm not speaking to you from a dizzy height. I'm trying to be helpful. Faith failed because he forgot the love of Christ and the price that he would pay for salvation. He'd forgotten the transfiguration on the mount when he saw the glorified Lord. So his faith failed. You've had some wonderful spiritual experiences. Not quite that, but you have had close experiences with the Lord and known his patience and his goodness to you. Remember them. Let them strengthen you and bless you. You've had a great change within if you've really been converted. You know you've had a great change. Old things have passed away. Old sins that ruled you have been broken. I hope you haven't returned to them. Magnificent things have happened in your heart and you found you have love for God and love for Christ and you desire him. A miracle has taken place within. Keep your faith alive. The Christian, I heard somebody say once, is like an old-fashioned steam engine roaring along the track, puffing, I should say, drawing umpteen carriages behind. A tremendous weight of metal there in the front. Once it gets moving, it just pulls everything. But it's dependent upon the firemen in olden times, stoking up the fire constantly. If he sits back, it all peters out. Stoke up the fire of your love for Christ every day. Of course, the fire within you is of the Holy Spirit. But do your part to stoke up the fire. Reflect every day upon the goodness of Christ. Remember your testimony. Remember your great blessings. Remember your calling. Remember his promises. Do something to stoke up the fire of love. And you won't be overcome. And your faith won't fail. And you won't deny him. You won't shrink back. Peter's loyalty failed. His loyalty for Christ collapsed. And our loyalty collapses. We put ourselves first. And what we want and what we prefer. The angry word we're tempted to speak. All this must come first. And our being Christ's people suddenly becomes secondary. And we're disloyal. And we've been in a place of employment for five years and we've never witnessed. What disloyalty? We're guilty of it too. Why? Because love for him has failed. Faith in him has got low. We're not learning of him as we should be. So fear takes over us and timidity and we fail him. We're just like Peter. Apply it to ourselves. Speak to our own hearts. 
then there was a failure in Peter to control the old nature. The old Peter fully returned. That old recessive nature which has been overcome by the new nature imparted conversion. But it's still there. Don't believe the idea that the old nature has gone. It's proved to be still within you every day of your life. It's down there inside you. You know, I wrote about this recently, and I'm very fond of Luther's illustration. You're like a ship with two captains. The old captain was evil and cruel. There's a new captain on board. The old captain is shut up in the hold below. But security is poor, and he gets free sometimes. And he starts rampaging about, and people obey him. And he gets his way. That's the old nature within us. The old sins bursting to be expressed once again, trying to get out and free. And if we're not watchful, we let it. And Peter let it. You're one of his. And he curses and he swears like an unconverted man. And he's lost his temper. And he bursts out with terrible words. And he makes oaths, the text says. Doesn't tell us what they were. We can only guess. God strike me dead if I'm not speaking the truth. I know nothing about this person. I'm not one of his. And he swears to reinforce it. The old nature is free. It's got out and is not containing it. How many times did you and I fail to contain the old nature last week? In anger or unkindness or meanness or selfishness or something. This is why he was afraid. This is why he denied the Lord. His, he didn't learn. His faith ran low. His love ran cool. He didn't reflect. And he didn't struggle to contain the old nature with a prayer and by the help of Almighty God. It was ultimately the failure of love. Love failed. His love for the Lord failed him. Can that happen to you? To me? Yes, it can. Did you spend an hour or two at some time last week worrying about yourself? How is this going to affect me? How is that going to affect me? What, what, what's been done to me? My lot is unfair and unreasonable. Why should this? Why should that? That's something I want to have. I'll open all the catalogues. I'll roll it round in my mind and dream of it and think of it and wonder how I can get at that. Focus on me. What I want, what I should have, how I should be treated, how I should appear, what my clothing is, and so on and so on. Focus on... 
You can't love Christ and yourself at the same time. Love for Christ will run cold. Ultimately, in some shape or form, you're going to deny him. Your loyalty will fail. Sometimes loyalty fails in attendance at the house of God. There are thousands of Christians around the world. They say they're Christians. They say they're under the blood and they trust in Christ and believe in him. But they only go to church once a week. They only go to a morning service. That's enough for them. They never come back. I don't want to hurt somebody who's forced to do that because you're a carer or you've got a very, very unusual set of burdens. Some people would love to be here all the time. But it's impossible. Their lot is difficult. Yes, we understand that, but some people it's a choice. It's disloyalty to Christ. Minimum worship, smallest commitment. I've been pastoring now for 60 years this year, and there's something which is inescapable. When people stop attending the Bible study and never darken the doors weeknights, there's usually trouble. Something's going to happen. There'll be some kind of a fall, some terrible stumbling, some backsliding. Almost one inevitably follows the other. I've seen it in so many promising people, year after year, over the decades. Disloyalty always leads It arises from and it leads to a worse failure of faith. The great antidote is love for the Lord. Do you remember how Christ dealt with Peter? After the resurrection, one of the appearances of the risen Lord, the great catch of fish, that sermon by the fireside, that address to Peter, by the risen Lord and he put his finger on the greatest failing of all Peter as it has turned out now looking at what's happened can you really say Peter do you love me more than these others like you said you would And then Peter says, yes, I do love you, Lord. And the Lord goes on to say a second time, lovest thou me? And Peter was shaken. And he insisted as he did. And just as there were three denials, so there were three challenges. And the third comes surely, lovest thou me? That was the biggest thing the failing of his love for the Lord. Don't let your love for the Lord flag. Fire it up every day. Think of your, the kindness of Christ towards you. Think of his love set upon you. Love him in return. Dedicate yourself to him. 
Put him first, yield to him, obey him, and then, and then, you will not fall. You will not fall. You will not discredit the gospel. You will not discredit him. And you'll remain in his hands and under his care.